Hello, friends. This is David Pasqualone with the Remarkable People Podcast, Season 2, Episode 31, The Rob Jackson Story. The Remarkable People Podcast. Check it out. The Remarkable People Podcast. Listen. Do. Repeat. For life. Ladies and gentlemen, you are in for a real treat today. Stay into the whole episode. There is knowledge for people who have issues, who don't have issues, who think they don't have issues, who think they do have issues. This is a great episode that builds and builds and builds. And while the premise is sexual addiction and medicating pain, Rob is the counselor that helped from season one and season two, David and Kirsten Samuel find healing and freedom. And now not only do they have the best marriage they've ever had, but they have a new marriage and they're going around the world for the last 15 years telling people how to do it. Rob Jackson is the counselor that God used to help them, and he's on our show today. He's going to talk about us living up to our birthright in Christ. He's going to talk about practical steps of how to get help and freedom from porn or any addiction. He's also going to go through some things that I've personally never heard phrased the way he did, and it absolutely connected. So we're going to talk about addiction versus medication. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about the mind versus the brain. We're going to talk about the iceberg model of Christian spiritual formation. We're going to talk about a counselor versus a coach. It's going to get awesome, and it builds and builds and builds. So whether you have an addiction or know someone who does, whether you think you are solid or whether you know you're not, no matter where you are, whether you're a believer in Christ and you've trusted him as your savior, or whether you're an agnostic, an atheist, a Muslim, a Hindu, whatever it is, this episode can help us all. Now, before we get to the episode, I want to do a quick shout out to our friends in India. 54 this month out of thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of podcasts. Man, India, thank you. We ranked up to 54 this month in your country of a billion people. Thank you. What a huge honor. If we can help you anymore, please let us know. But thank you for listening. We're glad we're helping. And if we can help you in any way, in any country, let us know. Another giant shout out to Germany. Wow, representing a huge population of our listeners comes from Germany. So thankful. So for all of you around the world, thank you very much. Keep letting us know how we can improve. Keep letting us know how we can help you. Uh, Click those five-star buttons. Click the likes and the shares. And keep spreading this podcast because really you're spreading the gospel around the world in a way that's going to help people grow. Everything we talk about on every episode is solid foundational truth that'll work for whoever applies it, and we want to help, so please keep sharing this podcast. Now, last thing, 
We're going to talk a lot about God in this episode, so don't shut us down. I already have talked about God a lot, but obviously I believe in God. I believe that all truth comes from God, and I know that I've seen personal healing and forgiveness and freedom through Christ. So if you don't believe in God and you're listening to this episode, you can still get huge value out of it. But if you're not sure and you want to learn more about God and you don't have a Bible, let me know. I am a Gideon. Gideons have been around since 1898, and the mission is getting God's word to the world so they can come to know Christ as their Savior. If you do not have a Bible, write me. We will get you a Bible. You got it? I'm not sure how. I'm not sure how fast, but I'm sure I will get you one, all right? So if you need a Bible, I will get you a Bible, and it will probably care of the Gideons, a fantastic organization. If you're not involved, check out the show notes. There'll be a link if you want to donate to them. An amazing, worthy cause. Every second, two and a half Bibles go out across the world. Can you believe that? Every second. As I'm talking, one, two, three, boom, right there. Seven Bibles just went out, right? Seven and a half Bibles, but who's going to count that? So, the problem is every second there's four people born. We're behind. We need your help. You can get involved with your time. You can get involved with your talent, and you can get involved with your treasure. So, if you can, help out the Gideons. Check out the show notes. Let's get Bibles to people who need it. And if you need one, you call me, and I'll, I'll hook you up. Next, Pam Heinold. What an amazing realtor. One of the top, not her agency, but in Pensacola amazing realtor, and now she's building a team, a bigger team of realtors to better serve you in this community. You know how I know that? Because not only is Pam amazing realtor, not only is she amazing human, and I've known her for, oh, at least 13 years now, but now my wife just got her real estate license, and she's working with Pam. So now not only do you get the power of Pam, but you get to meet my wife and work together, right? It's amazing. So check out pamheinold.com. Check the show notes out. Get a direct link there. So if you're looking for a place to come, Pensacola, for a vacation home, if you're looking to relocate, if you want a second home or some rentals, call Pam Heinold. Next, but not least, in any way, shape, or form, This episode, we're talking about Rob Jackson. He's going to help. He's a counselor and a coach, and he'll explain the difference in those. But also, we're going to reference Covenant Eyes. Covenant Eyes is internet accountability and safety. It basically is an app that goes on your phone and on your computers, and it stops you from looking at a lot of porn if you have an issue. And then if you do slip up or forget slip up. If you make a conscious choice, you're weak at that moment. It sends a message to your accountability partner. Boom. Hey, we got something to talk about. Maybe it was an innocent slip. Maybe it's something that needs to be addressed, but it helps us as iron sharpeneth iron. So a person, the countenance of their friend, right? We help each other. We sharpen each other. Covenant eyes helps do that. I've been using covenant with my eyes with my family for years. We love it. Check it out. Again, check out the show notes. Look at Covenant Eyes. Amazing, amazing, amazing solution. So at this time, we are going to get into the Rob Jackson story. 
Please get your pen, get your paper, take notes, write us with questions, and more than anything, don't just listen, but do and repeat these truths, these powerful principles and truths for life so you can live freely, joyfully, happily, and when you pill your head at night, you get sweet, sweet rest. So at this time, I'm going to stop talking. We love you, ladies and gentlemen. Catch you at the end of the episode. This is Dave with the Remarkable People Podcast, Season 2, Episode 31, The Rob Jackson Story. Rob, thanks for being here today. It's my pleasure, David. Thank you. Oh, man, it's my pleasure. I am super excited for this episode. We've mentioned you in Season 1, Episode 16, The Kirsten Samuel Story. And then just last week in season two, episode 30, we had David and Kirsten Samuel back on to share their continued story together from Dave's perspective and then where they are today. Super. Yes. And I was sharing with the audience that you were the man that God used instrumentally in their lives to help them get back on track. And then I'm personally talking to you now to help with some of the demons in my closet. And it's been a fantastic and a experience and a blessing. So for the listeners out there today, Rob is a frequent author, and he works with organizations like Focus on the Family. He's contributed to a ton of their articles, books. Um, He's part of their Boundless podcast as a guest regularly in radio interviews. He has his own counseling practice, Rob Jackson Counseling, and his model is the iceberg model of Christian spiritual formation. So... We just said a whole bunch of words, but the end result is this. God uses Rob to listen to what you're going through, to kind of guide you through it with a biblical worldview, and then how to have that victory through Christ. So what we're going to do today is Rob's going to talk to us a little bit of what he's seeing in the world and in society, because he handles a whole gambit of different issues that people are struggling with, but as in David and Kirsten Samuel's story, the focus was sexual addiction and depression. So I don't want to keep talking, Rob, and I don't want to steal your thunder, but as a counselor, right now the podcast goes out in over 54 countries. We're talking to people of all backgrounds, shapes, sizes, colors, and everybody here is to grow and to help each other grow. So with that said, I'm just going to let you lead as you see fit. What are you seeing in the world today? And what are the things we need to watch out for? And what are the things we can do to overcome some of these battles in our own lives? So I'm leaving you a very wide open day, and you you just direct as you see fit. Thanks so much, David. You know, I think really the goal has always been that we learn to cooperate with God's design. I so believe He is our actual creator, and we're made in His image. And so he's left us with a trinity of our own, and that spirit, mind, and body. And these need to be integrated. For example, my spirit lies deepest. You know, this is my heart, and this is where I have affections and inclinations and things of that sort. Really, my core identity is in my heart. And then my mind has thoughts, emotions, memories, and even imagination. And we get to the body, and that's what carries it all out. The body does the work of the spirit and the mind. And so basically what I'm seeing is we have not really been trained to live in cooperation with God's design. 
Now, of course, it starts with conversion in Jesus Christ and learning to walk by the Spirit. But even an atheist might acknowledge that we have spirit, mind, and body. And so we're needing to be integrated. And if anything today, <clears throat> excuse me, we are disintegrated. And I suspect that with the stress in the world that we're seeing over COVID-19 and having to quarantine and wondering, is it coming back? And over the civil unrest, it is so sad. I suspect that people are more stressed today than any time in our lifetime. Yeah, I would agree completely. The underlying stress that people aren't even taking into consideration and the anxiety that's building up inside of them right now, it's just some people are out overtly, like they're having issues, but sure. a lot of people, they're just subconsciously processing this and not handling it well. Yeah, you know, one of the things we're, we're sensing is if you were stressed, say you had a mild case of anxiety before COVID-19, well, now it's probably moderate. So you started off at moderate stress. Well, now it's probably severe. So whatever you had prior to COVID-19, this is working sort of like a magnifying glass. And unless you're actively taking care of yourself, again, guarding your heart, renewing your mind, purposefully living for Christ, unless you are really on top of your game, you're moving backward into the throes of depression and anxiety because of what we're all experiencing today. Well, let's do this. Let's start off the conversation by breaking it down. You know, we have listeners of all different cultures right now and all different mm -hmm. worldviews. So if you were to start off the conversation with speaking to people who, let's say, are not what would be considered in our civilization Christians, they sure. have whether it's an atheist, whether it's agnostic, whether they're Muslim, if someone's not a Christian, wherever, whoever we are, we can experience the same types of problems mm -hmm. and issues. So mm -hmm. speaking to them, what would you say to them if they're struggling right now? Yeah. Well, I know that regardless of backgrounds and cultures, we all want most of the same things. You know, individually, we want to be content. You know, as a married couple, we want to be loving and nurturing. As dads and moms, we want to see our children grow up, be strong and healthy. Uh, we want to be left to live our lives as we feel we should and can. And so I celebrate that we have so much more in common with one another than we ever have in actual differences. And so I would talk to the person who's, you know, not a Christian, as you would say, and say, well, how's, how is life? What's working for you? Do you even know? Or are you just kind of going through the day hoping things are going to work out okay? You know, do you actually have a plan? So, for example, when I talk of integrating spirit, mind, and body, I'm talking about trying to bring harmony to the inner man or woman, the inner person, so that what's on the inside uh, can leak out on the outside and be something very good. But if you and I are not integrating, uh, then more than likely what leaks out is pretty toxic. And that becomes the stuff of our our rage and our discouragement and despair and things of that sort. So how are you, the individual, taking care of yourself, not in order to be selfish, but in order to be a good steward of the life you have, do you have a plan? Excellent, excellent. I know you and I both have trusted Christ as our Savior, 
And I know I couldn't have gone through life. I'm only 43, but I couldn't have made it this far without Christ. Mm-hmm. So for the, those who are Christians, what would you say to them? Well, you know, I would say learn to walk by the Holy Spirit if you have not. I am so grateful that God in his wisdom has presented himself, this one God, to us in three persons. And so I think a lot about the economy of God's salvation. The Father chooses to love us. He didn't have to. I mean, we were actually unlovable, if you will, enemies. And then the Son chooses to die for us and to take on our sin and be a substitute so that we get mercy instead of judgment. And the Holy Spirit decides to come inside and begin to nurture and train and convict and love and comfort and so on. And so it takes all three persons of the Trinity. And what I have found with most Christians is there is a tendency naturally in faith to be grateful to the Father for loving us and grateful to the Son for dying for us. And that's where it stops. That third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, has often been called the forgotten person of the Trinity. And so, for example, in Romans 8, 13, it's a scripture that is so crucial. It says, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your body, you will live. So if we could get a show of hands out there. How many of you have an unwanted behavior today? You know, is yeah. that un- you know, is that unwanted behavior, you know, anger, depression, addiction, compulsions, uh, nagging people, controlling people. I mean, what is it? We've all got at least one or two controlling behaviors or, or at least unwanted behaviors that are sort of controlling us. And the scripture speaking to the Christian says, look, you, Christian, can't overcome this problem on your own. It's going to take you and the Holy Spirit. So I say to my clients, let's look at Romans 8, 13, and let's remove the person of the Holy Spirit from the Scripture and have a fill-in-the-blank session. So if by blank you put to death the deeds of your body, you will live. What else can you possibly put in that blank? If by good intentions? No. If by more education? No. Let's get a little bit more churchy if by going to church. And I hope everybody's a part of a Bible-believing church. But no, let's know what the Scripture's teaching. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your body, you will live. So we really, speaking to Christians, need to allow that third person of the Trinity to be the best friend we have on earth. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, there's so much. I think a lot of times when people don't understand something, they're afraid of it. And with the Holy Spirit, even Jesus himself said, greater than I will come. So people don't understand the Holy Spirit, so they just ignore it and don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing with, uh, you know, when Jesus walked the earth, there was demons and demonic possession. Mm -hmm. But you see these churches where people fall on the ground and bark like dogs. So we as Christians today, we just avoid that and pretend it never happened. Mm -hmm. But if there was demons back when Jesus walked the earth, there's demons back today. Sure. And the Holy Spirit is the greatest power. It's as greater as he in you than he that's in the world. So it means there's more Holy Spirit in us than, than in the world. Mm-hmm. So when you're counseling people, what would be some instruction for people to start really understanding who the Holy Spirit is and t- how to understand his power? Yeah, well, I always want to start with how do you think you see the Holy Spirit? You know, I'm I'm almost 60. 
So back in the day, everybody was reading from the King James Bible, and it would speak of the Holy Ghost. Well, being a kid in the 60s, the only ghost I knew was Casper, the friendly ghost. And some of the <laughs> I remember the bouncing younger, ball. Yeah, the exactly. bouncing ball in the songs, yeah. Yeah. The, the younger listeners like, who? Casper, what? But, you know, look it up. Pretty, pretty cool little cartoon. But the word ghost was not at all something that I could warm up to. The thought of the Holy Ghost was just so abstract. I couldn't do anything with it. I didn't regard the Holy Ghost as He. I didn't understand, you know, even as a child, that He is a person. He's just disembodied. And that might sound really strange, but we think about our loved ones who have passed on, you know, to be with Christ. Well, they're no longer in a body, but they're still a person. And so the first thing I would say to the listener who's not sure is, well, how do you see the Holy Spirit? Are you frightened of this person as a concept? Or do you think of the Holy Spirit sort of like, oops, I'm about to get audited like by the IRS? Or like, oh, no, I've been called to the principal's office. I'm, I'm missing recess. I'm in trouble. You know, the Holy Spirit for the Christian is there to comfort and guide. I always try to remind my clients, if you're in Christ, really spend some time meditating on Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There was condemnation. I mean, the world doesn't like to talk about that. Even the Christian world has gone kind of soft on talking about God condemning the lost. But the Scripture teaches that. But once we're new in Christ, once we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, once we are uh, an ambassador of Jesus Christ, then the Holy Spirit indwells us. And it's like, who is the, the coolest, smartest, most capable person you know ever on the planet? How would you like to just be able to call them up and say, hey, I got a problem. You know, think of your favorite author, living or dead. What if you could call that person up any time? Well, you've got the Holy Spirit, the author of the most widely read greatest sold book on the planet, the scripture, and he's living in you. Not only is he like the author in residence, he can also counsel you and make sure that you're staying on track. Yeah, and that's incredible. And that's where we find that true peace and joy, not just happiness. That's right. And I I think the Christian counselor is basically charged with helping the individual find that faith in the triune God so that the individual is maybe still using a counselor as needed. Like if I have a broken arm, I don't want to have a cast, and yet I'm grateful to have a cast. The cast protects the broken arm. Uh, It will spare me some pain, but you would never put a cast on a healthy limb. Well, you and I are all broken You know, even the person born again is still broken. We're living in a world, I mean, can I get an amen? We got a very broken world that we're looking at. And so to that point, we're needing the support of God, and he provides that through this person that we speak of as the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus, you know, alluded to him, 
talking to his disciples, Christ is getting ready to ascend back to heaven. I mean, just get a picture of this. We can probably see the knees knocking on the disciples. They have been run through it. They are scared to death. And he is is basically saying, guys, it's okay, let me go. Let me go, and, you know, I will send to you the comforter. He doesn't say, I'm going to send to you the critic. I'm going to send the one to you who's going to get on your last nerve. You know, I'm going to send the one to you who finally is going to set you straight. You know, I've been working with you knuckleheads now for three years. Get ready. No, I'm sending you my comforter. And this way, Christ, who is fully God and fully man, can finally, this is not exactly correct, but duplicate himself over and over and over and over to live inside the heart of each believer. Without the Holy Spirit, he could not, because he has ascended back to the right hand of the Father. Man, so much good stuff and so many directions to go here. Um <laughs> Okay, the first thing I'm thinking is this. People are listening, and they heard the David and Kirsten Samuel story, and they want to hear about sexual addiction and overcoming that, which we are going to 100% get to. But what Rob and I are talking about now are the fundamentals, and it's the, the core and the foundation of everything. So hang with us a little longer, because whether you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you believe in God, or you don't, you got to really grasp this because Rob can help you despite your background. But Rob's like me in the way that we believe all truth comes from God. God is truth and all the truth is from the Bible. So we're going to reference the Bible constantly, but it's a good way because you're going to see that anything Rob says, you can prove in real life. But Rob, when you're talking to people now who aren't Christians, and when you're talking to people now who are Christians, talk about what a healthy walk with the Holy Spirit's like. Like, why should they even want this? And, you know, what what is that all about? Yeah. Well, you know, this morning I, I jumped into the shower, and it's part of my routine, but I, I basically say, Holy Spirit, I need you to fill me up. I need you to complete me today. I never know what's coming in a particular day. I mean, I have a calendar. I sort of know what's on my calendar. But, you know, I have no idea what people are presenting to me. I have no idea what may or may not happen to myself or my individual loved ones. And I feel desperate to sort of start my day by saying, I can't do this without you, Holy Spirit. And so, see, that's bringing a relationship to the center instead of saying, no, there's something religious I'm supposed to do when I get up in the morning. We're really not talking about a formula. We're not talking about a religion. We're not talking about a bunch of action steps. We're talking about acknowledging God who is ready to prove himself as the lover of your soul. Now, someone might say, well, how practical is that? Well, you know, if, if you wake up with a spouse, you know, it, it would feel pretty good to hear that individual say, I love you. I look forward to our day. It would feel kind of off if you woke up with a spouse and he or she said nothing, absolutely zip 
for the entire morning, and then you get to the afternoon, and there's still crickets. It's silence. And then you get to night, and you're thinking, oh, my word, I have been with this person and haven't heard a word all day long. So basically, we're talking about the Scripture calls it abiding in Christ. It tells us to pray without seeking, ceasing. If I just break it down, it is talking to your best friend and listening. So how do you listen? Well, that comes into getting into the Word, the written Word of God. Spending some time and having some of it memorized. And just asking this author, would you now help apply this to my life? I don't get it all. Would you teach me what you mean when you say, I can give a peace to you that's not like this world? I mean, worldly peace would be nice. I wish all the infighting would stop and go away. I wish we could all celebrate with one another. Right now, that's not happening. But there can still be peace on the inside of the individual believer, even when it's chaotic on the outside. Yeah, and explain when people are communicating with God, they're not hearing audible voices from God. Correct. And it's like, I, I mean, I know I've had times where I knew like God's leading me and communicating with me, and I'm like having a dialogue with him in my head. And it's not like I'm hearing voices or going crazy, but how do you explain to someone, especially someone who's not a Christian, what that's like? Because it's it really is wonderful. I mean, I know I've had times where I've been like, God's telling me like, hey, you're leading me, you need to do this or say this or whatever it is. I'm like, no, I can't do that. And then we're having this dialogue and then I'll read my Bible, just like you said. And then out of the word, God's going to show me something right there and confirm that's what I need to do. Yeah. And then we'll go back and forth. And it's a conversation. But I feel like I do a terrible job explaining such a beautiful thing in relationship. Mm-hmm. Can you can you do a better job or is it just you have to experience it to know it? Well, the one thing I believe I can point to is this. The Western mind is so developed to focus on the tangible to focus on what can be evidenced through research, you know, and uh, we're not real big on anything that gets into the supernatural. And we have forgotten that Christianity is a supernatural relationship. You know, you and I have five senses, sight, sound, touch, smell, and taste. And so you've just clarified correctly. We don't hear God speak with our actual ears. And so there's not a natural, oh, I heard God say hello to me this morning, you know. But when you get into a relationship with an actual person, you know, you begin to to be able to know how that relationship uh, walks and talks. And you begin to know kind of what to expect of that other person. And you begin to look forward to relating and being related to by that other person. And so it's knowing by faith, and this is to your point, is knowing by faith that God hears me when I cry out to him. God knows if I am talking to him out of the sincerity of my brokenness or if I'm just trying to go through some kind of religious checklist. He knows, you know, the motivation behind saying, would you, would you make me capable of the stuff that you're going to bring my way today? And would you do it so that I can bring 
honor and glory back to God the Father and not just, you know, get me out of a tough spot. Yes, and I, man, what you just said, I echo a thousand times. Um, I know in my own life, there's been times you get in the habitual rut, so to speak, and you're mm-hmm. praying just to pray. Like, okay, I pray every day, and I was really just praying to myself. Mm-hmm. I was saying words, and I was just going through it. It was almost like talking to myself out loud. But then there's other times you're truly having that conversation and that relationship with God, and that's just a beautiful thing, and that's when God answers and reacts. And if you're listening right now, do a little self-evaluation. Like it talks about in Corinthians, examining ourselves. And usually people think about that for communion, but that should be a daily, daily habit. And look at your own intentions in everything we do, because I mean, for me, why lie about anything, especially to ourselves? Because God knows the truth and his opinion is the only one that counts. And then we're next, right? So Rob, when you are talking to people, and you're encouraging them to have a real relationship with God. Let's go through one thing about this show. This is a little bit different format today, but we usually talk about the challenges people face and then a step-by-step how they overcame them. So how would somebody, let's do a step-by-step here. How would somebody have a relationship with God? Like, how does this dialogue start? How does this relationship start? And it's a lot like a relationship with anybody, but if somebody was going to have like a three point or five point or 10 point checklist, how would you walk them through it to start? Yeah. Well, the first thing I would recommend to the person who has absolutely no clue about what we're talking about is I'd say, read the book of John in the new Testament. You know, I sit with my Bible and different color markers and I have kind of a theme around the the colors that I use. So we've been talking about, um, you know, God calling us into relationship with himself. And so that theme is evangelism. It's spreading the good news. Hey, I'm God. I love you. I want to be reconnected with you. Sin has gotten in the way. I've got a solution. His name is Jesus. And so, you know, maybe because that is new life, I underline that as green, you know, we read John three sixteen for God so loved the world. So I underline that as green. But, you know, yesterday when I was reading the scriptures in the book of Luke, when I find something about Jesus relying on the person of the Holy Spirit, I use purple for that. I don't know why I chose purple. It's one of seven or eight colors. It doesn't matter. But it helps me to go back and say, okay, everything that's sort of purple in the book of Luke is going to be dealing with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus was actually depending on him. So to your point, to be practical, I would begin with the book of John and just say, God, if you're real, would you show me yourself? Would you prove yourself to me? Would you help me to know how to relate to you? And then if you're in a, not if, when you're in a quandary, I don't know what to do. I got this problem. I don't have a clue. Would you be willing to go back to the scriptures? Would you sit with the scriptures, which is a response? Would you respond instead of reacting? That's one of the big themes in my practice. I always say, look, you and I can react naturally. I know how Rob Jackson reacts naturally in my own disposition. It's not really good. Many times it's really 
bad. <laughs> you know, just ask family members, line them up, they'll tell you the truth. But yep. the response is not the knee-jerk reaction. The response is taking a breath, literally, literally taking two or three deep breaths to slow the physiology of your body down, get away from all the noise, get by yourself, okay, shutting out the stimulation that's agitating you, perhaps, as best you can. If you can't immediately, like you're at work, just tell yourself, look, the first thing I'm going to do when I get off work is I'm getting by myself. I'm shutting out the noise. I'm going to go into the scriptures. I'm going to look at what I have been reading or what God may direct me. And so we're taking our breath. We're getting out of the noise. We're getting to the Word of God. We're stopping and saying, don't let me do what I would naturally do. Would you help me to do what Jesus would do if he were me? Dallas Willard, an author who passed away just a couple of years ago, author of The Divine Conspiracy and many other books, had a really interesting take. You know, we went through this time about 15 or 20 years ago, what would Jesus do? WWJD. And Will, Dallas Willard was a philosopher, and he said, that's the wrong question. He said, you and I will never be living in Palestine or over in the Middle East 2,000 years ago wearing sandals walking on dusty roads. That's not going to happen. What would Jesus do if he were David with a podcast? What would Jesus do if he was Rob with a counseling practice? What would Jesus do if he were in your situation? That's where things begin to change. And so we're slowing down and saying, would you show me the next step? Yes, and that next step is so crucial because how many times do we as people panic and stress and have anxiety because we're worried about the big picture down the road when God only calls us to, you know, we plan ahead like we're going to be around a thousand years, but we have to live like for today, you know, what is just the next step? So yeah, maybe and if to- we don't know the next step, we need to, we, if it's possible, if we don't know the next step, we don't need to act you know, not everything has to have an immediate answer. Not everything desires, you know, this shake-and-bake microwave kind of poof, there it is. So, you know, sometimes you will hear Christians say, you know, until I have peace, talking about inner peace, until I have peace, I'm not going to do anything. I'm waiting. And that inner peace basically says, until I know what God's Word teaches by principle or precept, I'm not acting because I'm very likely to get it wrong. Yeah, and I thought about when you said that, the verse, be still and, you know, know that I'm God. Like sometimes we just need to be still, right? We just need to for sure meditate and search out that next step. Um, and, then, you know, what Moses, I mean, he wasn't trying for 40 years to figure out the way out. He just said, I'm here till God tells me I'm out, right? Right. Right. Yeah, so, so, and that's hard to say, I'm going to be in the wilderness for 40 years. Well, it is. And none of us, you know, let's be clear, none of us want to suffer. So I'm not saying, hey, you know, come know Jesus Christ and uh, enjoy the suffering. I'm basically saying, look, you're suffering anyway. You're going to suffer if you're 
not a Christian and you're going to suffer if you are a Christian. But if you are a Christ follower, when you suffer, you can have the comforter, the Holy Spirit, to help you. And he will help you relationally and he will help you understand the scriptures. If you say, look, I've tried to read the Bible and I don't understand it. I get that. Been there a thousand times. I was looking at a parable yesterday that I literally didn't have a chip in my brain to begin to understand. And I asked God if he would, if the Holy Spirit would show me what it might mean. And over a period of minutes, I began to kind of see what it might possibly mean. So suffering is not optional. You're going to suffer well or you're going to suffer poorly. Chances are if you're suffering poorly, you're going to look for a medicator that's going to feed sight, sound, touch, smell, and taste. Earlier you mentioned pornography. That is one of the quickest medicators on the planet. That's what's got so many men and women, adult, youth, and even children enslaved because it feels like I can go look at that and within moments I'm better. Well, that's the neurological deception. Yeah, in the moment, you're better, but you're not better overall. It leaves you worse in the long run. Yes, and let's actually, that's a perfect transition. But before we go on, I want to make two statements and then do a quick summary. So if you're listening and you don't have a Bible, write me. I'll find a way to get you a Bible. And another thing, too, is there's many people in the Bible where they have a Bible and they're reading and they don't understand it and they need help. Let Rob or I know. Reach out, whether it's us or we connect you with someone else. We'll get you someone who can hopefully, you know, depending on where you are in the world, sit down and communicate with you and help explain the Bible. Because once you get that relationship with Christ, I believe every answer, every question in the world is in that Bible. It's just when is God going to reveal it to us and under what circumstances? And Rob was just saying how he was looking at a passage. You probably read that passage a thousand times, right, over the years? Yeah. But today, or this week for some reason, he specifically was like, God, help me to understand this. I've had those exact moments. And if you're listening as a Christian, you have probably have those exact moments. Um, but if you have no idea what we're talking about, man, it's real. And when you read your Bible and you hear from God, you just get this comfort and assurance and peace and this joy that it's going to be okay. And no matter what happens, yeah, God's got this. I just got to kind of do my part and then rest. So now we're looking at what Rob said is medicating. Um, So he was talking about how when he has a stressor, he doesn't react. He, you know, he responds and then he'll breathe and he'll get away from the noise and he'll look for that peace. So those are some steps that whether you're a Christian or not, it's just good advice, right? But now medication, some people, alcohol, some people, drugs. Now alcohol is a drug, but the world classifies it different, right? Some people, gambling, some people, physical adultery, some people, pornography, With Rob's counseling and coaching, he sees this every day, sadly. And I'm going to let Rob start talking about this issue, because that's really probably what you came for today to listen to this episode. A lot of people get, Rob, let's start here. 
they get confused with addiction versus medication. So talk about that because there's some people, an addiction, a true addiction, define that. But then when people are medicating pain, you know, there's a fine line between them. But explain the difference because that's really yeah. important. Yep. This is how I would try to begin to explain it, and it is somewhat complicated. But think about a, a, a behavior. You know, if you repeat a behavior enough, it becomes a habit. But we all know kind of what a habit is. All right. If you repeat a habit multiple times, it may become a compulsion. And so a compulsion is something I'm beginning to do to try to distract me from stress. It's no longer productive. Well, if you repeat a compulsion long enough, you may get an addiction. By the time you have an addiction, your brain is on fire neurologically. And so we know that the brain is sort of like a spoiled two-year-old, always saying, give me, give me, give me. The brain just wants something new. It doesn't care what it is. The brain does not discern good from bad. It just wants excitement. It wants escape from whatever the brain considers to be monotonous or boring. So basically that addiction becomes a time when your brain is really leading your behaviors instead of your mind so your mind is what knows right from wrong. Your mind is where wisdom resides. Your brain just knows impulses. So your brain starts taking over and you start doing things that are against your value system, things that you know don't make any sense, things you know that will get you in trouble, things you know that will destroy your relationship and your health. And your brain says, I don't care. Give me more. The brain screams louder than the mind and the spirit. We talked earlier about the need to integrate spirit, mind, and body. The brain has no sense of conscience. Conscience resides in the human heart. And so the addiction just kind of cancels out conscience in the moment. In the moment, it's okay to do whatever that is. And so an addiction basically becomes a behavior that is unmanageable. I can no longer take charge of it. It's taking charge of me. An addiction is something now that I do regardless of circumstances. You know, negative consequences really don't motivate me because I want my drug of choice. I'm not learning. I do it over and over. Uh, so I think basically when you talk about an addiction, whether it is gambling, alcohol, drugs, sex, pornography, or whatever, one of the key things is, is it now unmanageable? Am I doing this in spite of my better sense? Have I tried to stop before and I can't? I mean, like we can use alcohol as an example. There are people who are not alcoholics, but they abuse alcohol. You know, every once in a while they will drink too much. They're not chemically addicted, at least not yet. But psychologically, they're into a, a space we call alcohol abuse. And so you can think in terms of that as a metaphor. There can be abuse of a substance or abuse of a behavior. It's not yet addiction. But if you keep abusing and you keep repeating that in time, it very likely will become an addiction. And then it's got control of you instead of you having control of it. That is 
super awesome. And I've never heard anybody explain the difference between the mind and the brain, but that makes complete sense from a biblical worldview. So thank you so much. Now, everybody has pain, different forms of pain. Everybody has hardships and struggles, but how we deal with it is a differentiator. So for the people listening right now who either are or know somebody who are medicating with porn and sexual addiction, how often are you seeing this in your practice right now? Well, for the last 20 years, this is almost all that I've done. It has been my specialty. Now, sure, people who suffer sex addiction and porn addiction, they have anxiety, they have depression, they have personality disorders, their family members have the same. So you wind up treating lots of different things. But, you know, I started out in uh, about 1994 tending to specialize in problems with sexual addiction. And back in 1994, the Internet was sort of a baby. It was not yet what it is, what it has become. And so couples were still sort of arguing about, hey, the husband's watching too much on television. The, The husband's ignoring the wife. Maybe the content's okay, but the quantity's not. Or maybe the content's getting a little edgy and the wife doesn't appreciate it. And so they're arguing about, you're watching that show? But today, I mean, we have people who have experienced, you know, this kind of indecency with this little small brick we call a cell phone. You know, we're walking around with this immense dynamic interactive library of everything the world has ever produced thus far. And in terms of pornography, I mean, it's it's like... um, Walmart and a pocket, you know, it's got a little bit of everything there, if that's what you're wanting. Yeah, I remember our pastor one time, he said something that was like, it literally reframed my mind. He said, if you're giving your kid a cell phone and put in their pocket and thinking they're not going to be looking at porn or being tempted, you're crazy. He said, that's like taking a dirty magazine, folding over, sticking in your kid's pocket and saying, hey, there you go, don't look at that. You know, it's just it's just ignorance. Yeah. In fact, I'm saying to parents, you know, unless there is some remarkable reason, don't give a kid a cell phone before 15 years of age. Now, you can give them a dumb phone, one that's not connected to the Internet, but, um, you know, not before 15. And then that means from 15, 16, 17 and 18, they've got that cell phone. And out there, as they're driving and so on, they can get in touch with you, and that's all healthy and good. But that gives you about three years to serve as a safety net. That gives you three years to serve as a trainer to show them this is how we use this remarkable thing. You know, I love technology. Technology is not wrong in and of itself. You know, it's not moral or immoral. It is amoral. It's totally okay. But, you know, you, you train your kid on how to drive a car. You don't let them behind the wheel until they are sufficiently trained. Well, we need to rethink giving cell phones to our kids or any other kind of device that's going to hook up to the Internet. I'm seeing so many kids who have become compulsive, at least, if not addicted to pornography, through gaming devices, through music platforms. I mean, it can come at them from any number of places that you and I as 
working adults might not encounter. Yeah, and that's really sad. It's like a conscious, on-purpose strategy that these companies are using. Mm-hmm. I know that, you know, there's, I'm going to use Instagram for an example, but the kids want to use Instagram, businesses use Instagram, but as soon as you open that phone, there's a page, it's like, I think it's like a search page. And it literally shows what I'd consider porn. There's guys with no clothes on or just, you know, their underwear, girls in just bras, they're doing things that are sexually, um, what's the word, leading. It's like they're having sex or screwing around or they're having fun and doing these dances. And people are saying that's all innocent, but it's not. It's literally just hooking these kids into first level porn. And then yeah. it's bringing them in. And adults too. There's, I mean, a 50-year-old man or a 15-year-old boy, same addiction, same problem. Yeah. So, oh, go ahead. Were you going to say something? Yeah, I was just going to interject. I mean, you're so right. So, I mean, just think about uh, comparing pornography to chocolate. You know, most people I know love chocolate. I do. And uh, we've got a old-fashioned chocolate factory and uh, old Colorado City outside of downtown Colorado Springs. And, you know, I can walk down, at least before COVID, and <laughs> walk down, and they've got someone out there with a tray of samples. And so the first sense I have is my eyesight. I see there's a chocolate shop down there, and they're giving away samples. And I see people eating the samples, and it makes me want the sample. And I get closer, and I get close enough that I can smell it. And, you know, then I have not only seen it, and I've not only smelled it, but now I have the sample and I taste it. So I have been grooming myself to eat the chocolate long before I get to the corner. And I have been being groomed. There's a reason they have that person out there on the corner. You know, it's called sales. All right. So don't forget that pornography is sort of like that. When your brain sees it through your eyes, it wants it. It doesn't matter how it's got to get it. But the natural brain is absolutely intoxicated with any suggestion of sexuality, whether it fits the legal definition of pornography or just the common sense definition of that's not wise. Your brain wants the wants every stimulation of sexuality you can possibly get. 100% agree. And to clarify too, if I'm wrong, you tell me this isn't just men. It's men and women, boys and girls. And right now in our society, the percentage of growth of women being addicted to porn women commit adultery, that's actually higher and faster than men, correct? Yeah, it is. And the <clears throat> the youngest client I've ever served was a six-and-a-half-year-old girl. So wow. it's not like this is just a men's-only or a males-only kind of thing. And when you get into the younger uh, population, the girls, it breaks my heart because the girls have all along been conditioned to think they're supposed to look like the cover girl, the girl on the magazine. We see some of that happening to young men now, but males as a general rule have not been trained to think I'm supposed to look like, you know, this guy with a six pack ab. That's kind of new in marketing, but women for about 60 or 70 years have been told, you know, if you don't look like this, 
And if you don't do those things using your sex appeal, well, you're just a loser. And so it has crossed over, and a lot of the young women today are actually becoming addicted. All right, so let's get back to solutions. You have people listening now. They're medicating through, let's just say, porn. Okay? They are sad. They're depressed. So their brain wants this instant relief, and I need it, I want it, whatever lie saying is put in their head. And they're consciously engaging in porn. And then they have that cycle of shame. But then they go back in and they engage in porn. And then the cycle of shame. So really, Satan's just holding them in bondage. They're in pain to begin with. So we need to get the root cause and yeah. heal, heal that through Christ. But then the cycle keeps going. Start. Where would you begin this process? Like some steps. Now, I know yeah. a lot of people are so enslaved. It's not that they can't be free, but they'll need help with a professional like you mm-hmm. or someone who's qualified, biblically sound, but also trained. Because there's a lot of people with good intentions, but they don't have the qualifications. And then, mm-hmm. you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, that old saying. Yeah. So where does someone who's in this horrible cycle, how do they start the freedom? Well, you have to begin by basically saying, I need help. You know, as long as it's a secret, you're nowhere close to recovering. And so when you say, I need help, who are you going to tell that to? You know, uh, you could possibly go to a pastor and say, you know, pastor, I I need help. Uh, You could go to a therapist and say, I need help. You, You might even go to a doctor and say, I need help. What I wish is that everyone understood that because we are made in God's image, we do need spiritual help. And that's where our pastors and elders come in. But we're not just spirits. We have minds and bodies. So when we get in trouble, especially by the time a stronghold has become an addiction, we're going to need a mental health professional to help with the mind because the pornography has been downloaded if you will, into our memory banks. It functions very much like a computer. And so you're going to need a Christ-centered mental health professional plus a pastor. And then occasionally I meet individuals who not only need a pastor for the spiritual concerns and a mental health professional for the addiction, the psychological addiction, they need help at the physical level with a doctor because maybe they're carrying a high degree of anxiety or maybe they're carrying a high degree of depression. And I'm really conservative. It's not like I'm saying, hey, there's a pill out there. Go get your prescription. You know, just just go do that. I am saying if it's severe, go do that. If it's mild, you may not have to have medication. If it's somewhere in between, say it's moderate, well, you can try to do a number of things that a person like myself can recommend, and you might not need medication. But then again, you you might need it because, you know, we can't control all the stress points in our life. Like right now with COVID and civil unrest and so on, we've got very little control over that. And so if you're already suffering depression and anxiety, there's only so much you can do on the inside. You can't do much on the outside. 
And if you're suffering this to a severe degree, medication will be added to what you're doing with a therapist and what you're doing with a pastor. Here's the conclusion on this. You can over-spiritualize by going to a pastor only. You can over-psychologize by going to a mental health professional only. And if you're just going to a doctor for medication, you know, you're, you're skating on the ice. It's thin. It's superficial. It's going to break. Yeah, and I couldn't agree with you more. And as the listener, some of us have come from very conservative backgrounds where they're like, no, this is spiritual. You can defeat it and you don't need medicine. And, you know, there's something wrong with you if you're, you know, you must not be right with God if you can't have victory over this through Christ alone. But what Rob's saying, listen, if Christ alone, we can heal and overcome everything, 100%. But we carry a lot of baggage and a lot of sin, and we need help. It says in the Bible, as iron sharpeneth iron, so the man a countenance of his friend, right? If you went to the doctor and they said, oh, you're tired because your vitamin D is low, you take vitamin D. And then you'd start changing your diet and exercising until your body builds back up the tolerance and it kicks back in. If you had a vitamin C deficiency, you would take vitamin C until you could build up the tolerance and it kicks back in. What Rob's saying is 100% true. There is times where we've exhausted ourselves through stress, through trauma, through just a tough life. I mean, some of you who are listening have had a hard life life. God has a plan and a purpose for it. He didn't cause the pain, but he knew that you can take it and he's going to give you that strength and victory. But this journey hasn't been easy for you. So if you've depleted all your serotonin levels, you may need a drug like an antidepressant to bring those back up to help you get back in balance. And so When I was, for years, I was like, no, no drugs, no drugs, no drugs, no drugs. But I really feel like I was doing myself and others an injustice by taking that stance. And what Rob was just saying, you know, it's not just a pastor. It's not just a counselor. It's not just a doctor. It's it's balance. And the Bible says a false balance is abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. So really think about, forget what you know, and think about what's the Bible saying. And think about what's reality and think about what is designed, God's designed by nature. And think about how everything fits in. Again, if you were vitamin D deficient, you're going to take vitamin D. So if you're struggling with depression, don't be afraid to get a good team, your doctor, your counselor, your pastor, and find that right solution because it can really help. I mean, Rob, I don't want to take your thunder, but... That's my perspective. Am I right? Am I wrong? Do you agree? Disagree? Well, you're right. I mean, the scripture says there's safety in a multitude of counselors. So, for example, as a mental health professional, I love to work with a person's pastor. I mean, I am just jacked when I get the opportunity to come alongside and uh, serve that person. And, you know, when that person on those occasions need medication, I'm very content to interact with the physician. So the point is, you know, we have three advisors, if you will, a pastor, a therapist, and a physician for some. Others only need a pastor and a therapist. Um, so it's it's really trying to cooperate with God's design. I go back, as I've said from the start of this podcast, 
created in God's image, we have a trinity of our own to manage. It is spirit, mind, and body. And so we need to have advisors who help us do that well. Amen. All right. So step one in the freedom from porn is admitting we need help and accepting it. Now, let's pause there for one more second because this is a big one. What about the people who are so depressed they don't want help? They're like self-destructive at this point. They're hurt. They're broken. They almost want to hurt themselves. Yeah, I'm not committing suicide or yeah, I'm not cutting, but they're eating like crap. They're not exercising. Mm -hmm. They're looking at porn. They're they're mentally punishing themselves every day because they feel like they deserve it. Yeah. How do you how do you address them? Well, I'd want to basically say you were created for so much more. And you know, I would want my tone of voice and my countenance to convey my love and my concern, you know, not a uh hey, you were created for so much more, you know, get your act together. You know, not something that's hostile. But part of it is I mean, we can all tell our own stories. I mean, there was a time that, you know, I suffered panic disorder for like seven years. And so I was having daily panic attacks. So I get the person who has anxiety. I was also diagnosed with depression. I can understand what that's like. And so it's just basically approaching these individuals with empathy. You know, what have you been through that you might leverage to say to that person, I get you. Maybe I haven't had your same experience, but I know that I remember a time when I was really down, and I'm grateful today that God has lifted me up. Would you allow me to help you? Can I come alongside you? Let's see what let's see what God will do together. Yeah, and talking to the people who've done the worst of the worst, right? <laughs> I mean, all sin is sin. Uh, The only two categories I see in the Bible are those with the body and those without. But God forgives and loves. And every sin, you can... Now, there may be consequences, real consequences. But you can be forgiven and have joy and peace under the worst of circumstances. I mean, Paul, he was a horrible person before he was converted. And he slayed Christians. But that guy is one of the most fundamental individuals in the new testament so if someone's out there listening right now rob again and their mindset is just like i don't deserve it what's just before we move on what's the message direct message you have for them none of us deserve it what we actually deserve is eternal separation from god in a literal place called hell so none of us deserve it and that's one of the cool things about god he loved us while we were yet sinners. That's the way the scripture words it. So God loved us before he converted us. And so if you're out there not yet in Christ, if all of this seems to be like crazy, give God a chance. Ask him to show himself. Let's see what you find. Amen. All right. So step one is I need help. What's step two of breaking free? Step two is doing the next right thing. That's one of the big expressions in recovery. Do the next right thing. You and I can't necessarily plan the next 50 steps or even the next five. What's the next thing? And so, you know, it could be finding a support group. Like if it's pornography, 
puredesire.org or celebraterecovery.com. These have support groups, and you can put in your zip code and go find support. Now, again, during the COVID season, with things sort of shut down, sort of not, it may be hit and miss. But you can still ask, do you have someone who would meet with me by telephone? You know, uh, so asking for for help at a level that is therapeutic, but not necessarily therapy. Uh, and even this particular kind of help, there's no fee attached to it. So it's available for anyone. Um I would emphasize, too, you know, if you are married or if you're living in the context of a family, you're going to need to get them involved. It's not like you can sort of hide and recover. So not only are you asking for help, you're informing your significant others so they can be aware of what you're going through and hopefully become part of the solution. Awesome. And we're going to put links to these in the show notes. So repeat those websites again. PureDesire.org and CelebrateRecovery.com. Okay. Another thing a person can do if they say, hey, look, I, I need a counselor. I am ready. I have a pastor for my spiritual concerns, but I need a, a, a counselor, a licensed professional. You can go to a website maintained by Focus on the Family. That website is christiancounselors.network, christiancounselors.network. Once again, you'll put in your zip code, and it will start a search for you based on specialties you choose. And you'll be able to find counselors vetted by Focus on the Family, meaning we believe those people are um, Christians who have a professional practice uh, of counseling and it's not an endorsement, but it's a strong referral. And so I would encourage them to do that as well. Yeah. And I'm going to add to that because just because someone says they're a Christian, are they living like a Christian? I remember one time, um, there was someone, a practice of four counselors and there was an individual that I knew looking for marriage counseling. And they asked me to help them find a good marriage counselor. And when I called this practice up to help vet for them, all four counselors had multiple divorces. So I'm sorry. Now, there's a biblical reason for divorce, adultery, but God still hates it. And But he understands at the same time. That's like one of the most brutal things you can encounter. So... He doesn't want divorce, but there is an exception for adultery, but everything else you work through. But if someone's branding themselves as a Christian counselor, and they're not pro-marriage, fight for the marriage, do 100% everything you can do, then there's an issue there. And if you have somebody, four people in a practice, and they're literally on their third and fourth marriage uh, run, you know, if I'm going to somebody for investment advice, and they're poor, and driving a car that's well above their means and they're in $500,000 debt, I'm not going to ask them how to invest money and be wealthy, right? So if someone can't handle their own relationships, don't go there. Pretty plain and simple. I mean, Rob, would you agree or disagree with that? I agree. Of course, I'd also point out that sometimes people look at Christian counselors and and want to imagine they 
they also walk on water and would never possibly have a problem of their own. And they discover, you know what, we are people and we do mess up. And so really we have the opportunity to comfort people with the comfort we've received. But yes, to your point, you want people who are sincerely, uh, sincere practitioners of, of being a Christ follower. And so if you've got a particular concern, how do you address marriage and divorce? How do you address human sexuality? You know, before you invest a lot of hard-earned money in counseling sessions, maybe ask them in a free interview up front, how would you counsel a person considering A, B, or C? And if their answers really don't line up with a scriptural, biblical worldview, then call the next person on the list. Yeah, and another big problem I know that people have is counseling costs money. And you got to look at the big picture. If you're sick or you're depressed and you can't work, well, that's costing you money. If you're physically ill and going to the doctors, that's costing you money. If you're going to go through a divorce, the average divorce today in America costs about 35000 on each side. That's about $70,000. And the only people who win are the attorneys and Satan. So if you talk about, yeah, counseling costs money, depending on your region, I'm just going to throw, you know, 125 bucks an hour average for a good counselor. Not that it has to be that much, could be more, but it's worth it. If you get the right counselor and they're going to help you heal and they're going to help guide you, point you to God, you know, a counselor shouldn't be taking the side of the husband or the wife. They should be taking the side of God and pointing you to God. And again, where that's going to end, sometimes it does end in divorce if there's been adultery. Um, But if you're in a sexual addiction, sometimes it's going to be a rough journey, but that person's going to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. So when you're looking for a counselor, money's money. And Rob, are there, there's people out there who are listening that just don't have the money. I've been in that place in my life. At this point in life, I had no money. I, I just couldn't afford a counselor, even if I wanted one. Are there resources out there for them to get help? You know, there are, depending on where they live, but there are perhaps uh, larger churches that have counseling centers, and they may offer counseling at no cost, or they may offer counseling on a sliding scale. So that's a possibility. Sometimes there are counseling practices that have interns, so younger professionals learning the trade, supervised by the more experience, but it will be a more affordable form of getting help. But, you know, a lot of times, um, you know, if a person has what they consider to be a mild problem, if it's mild, they could probably have, you know, six to ten sessions over several months, not weekly necessarily, but over several months and work it through. And so six to ten sessions can still be expensive. But sometimes it's it's selling that fishing boat in the backyard that you don't use but twice a year. Uh, it's prioritizing. It's leveraging your assets to get what you need. Um, sometimes, you know, it may be, uh, if it's more of a moderate to severe problem, is there some way I can pick up second income for a period of time? Um, you know, it's not it's not fun but it's it's necessary and it's it's doable. Most people who really really want counseling can get it if they're motivated. 
Yeah, you can. <laughs> in sales, they always taught us people don't buy what they need; they buy what they want. Yeah, and that's a sad reality. We want that instant gratification. We want what we want, not what we need. And I think if you look outside of your window right now, look at the cars in your neighborhood. Look at the cars in the parking lot at your work, man. That's not what you need. That's what you want. <laughs> yeah, and you know that makes a, a fair point. Nobody wants counseling. They do want a better marriage. You know, nobody wants counseling. They do want inner peace so they're not up at night worried and can't get to sleep. No one wants counseling, but they do want children, you know, who love them and generally follow their counsel and are poised for a good life. So you're really not so much buying the counseling hour as the outcome you hope for that can be managed with you, the counselor, and God. Now, before we move on to step three, so step one is admitting I need help. Step two is doing the next right thing. But I want you to, this is another big problem. There's a lot of people who say they're coaches and there's good coaches out there, but a coach is not a licensed counselor in most cases. And then there's pastors who have great experience, but there's also pastors who don't have any experience and they just say, I'm going to counsel people. So talk about how can someone, what are they looking for? Mm-hmm. when they're looking for a quality counselor, coach, whatever it is. Because yeah. I personally know, and you know people who aren't licensed, but man, they're godly and wonderful people and they can help you. Mm-hmm. But then there's people who are licensed and they're just quacks. You know, mm-hmm. I knew a guy personally who was supposed to be doing marriage counseling and he tried to get men's wives to sleep with him. Mm-hmm. Horrible situation. So talk about what should someone be looking for in a licensed counselor or coach? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, keep in mind that counseling and coaching have some fundamental differences. For example, coaching basically says, let's take you where you are. We're not going to look to the past. We're not going to consider any possible diagnosis. We're not doing diagnostic work. We're just motivating and inspiring you to move to the next level. And that's perfectly legitimate if that's what you need, if that's what you're wanting. But coaching looks to the future. Counseling, on the other hand, may say, okay, you're hurting. You've got symptoms here that can be codified as a potential diagnosis. This hasn't come from nowhere. We need to go back. We need to look at childhood. We need to look at early personality development. We need to look at the early years of a marriage. Um, we need to take the totality of your life into consideration. That tends to be counseling. Counseling is more uh, medical-minded, um, and then coaching is, is more possibility-minded. And the two are very different. Counseling is going to be state-regulated, meaning a person has been credentialed, It doesn't mean that they're good at what they do. It doesn't mean necessarily that, you know, you're going to have a, I mean, there's never a guaranteed outcome, but at least they have set through a certain educational requirement that fit the licensure requirement versus coaching. You can get certified as a coach, but there, you can also hang up a shingle and call yourself a coach. No experience required. 
It reminds me of that old joke. What do you call a doctor that graduates first in his class? I give up. Doctor. What do you call a do- <laughs> what do you call a doctor that graduates last in his class? Doctor. Yep. Yep. There you go. You got to look at like we're talking to Rob Jackson today, ladies and gentlemen. We've heard two episodes with David and Kirsten Samuel. We see the results and the fruit how God's used Rob. So you need to look for counselors who have not just brought temporary relief or a lot of counselors I've seen too, they'll tell people what they want to hear. So they're happy, but that doesn't bring joy and peace or solve problems. So you got to look at people who are solving problems with their clients and really loving them to Christ. So, all right, Rob, what would step three be then? They need help. They need to know the next right thing. What, what do we do next to break free from this porn and addiction to sex? Yeah, I would start trying to do a really good self-examination. And this would take on the form of journaling. And so I would look at, first of all, my behaviors. What are my behaviors with alcohol, if that's a problem, or with gambling, or with pornography? And I would write out, what is the history that I have had with this self-defeating, unwanted behavior? Write it out so clearly that someone could play you in a movie. Get really plain about what you've been doing. So that's really step one of my iceberg model of Christian spiritual formation. We talk about the iceberg as a metaphor. Ah, your behaviors with gambling, for example. That's just the tip of the iceberg. There are drivers. There's something underneath that. So step two would be, what are your distorted thinking? Or what's your distorted thoughts? When you're doing the behavior that is unwanted, what are you telling yourself? You know, a person might say, well, um, everybody does this. You know, this is not as bad as Joe at the office. You know, um, look how hard I work. You know, I think I deserve this. So there's usually some distorted thoughts underneath the unwanted behaviors. And then the third step is, what are my damaged emotions? You know, AA teaches, uh, I think it's an acrostic, the word is halt, hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. When you are hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, halt and call your sponsor because you're really close to acting out. And so I would say when you are emotionally hungry, angry, lonely, tired, bored, frustrated, put out, overwhelmed, and undone, stop and call the sponsor of your faith. Call on the Holy Spirit. Now, you may still need to reach out to another person or two with skin on, but get used to calling on the Holy Spirit. And then after we've looked at our behaviors and the thoughts under that and the emotions under that, the last part of this four-step approach is what are my deceitful desires? Uh, What am I really trying to get when I'm doing my thing? Uh, Maybe I'm wanting escape, but I could find a lot of healthy ways to find solitude. You know, I don't need escapism into a drug of choice. I may need solitude that for the moment allows me to kind of 
put myself back together. Or maybe I'm looking for significance. You know, and I think that doing this or buying that is going to give me significance, only to find out I've been deceived. You know, uh, I didn't need that expensive whatever. Now I'm trying to pay for it. Now I feel stupid. So, yeah, you want to do a good self-examination, and that looks at behaviors, thoughts, emotions, and desires. Awesome. So, we've covered a lot of ground. If you're listening to this, just the words, you're like, oh, okay, this is a cool episode. But if you're really listening to what Rob's saying and thinking about the ground we covered today, you might be a little tired and exhausted. Because there's a lot of content in here that we just covered, and it's just the tip of the iceberg. And Rob, before we close today's session, is there anything else you're seeing that you want to discuss? Or is there anything else that you feel that's really important, or even anything else you want to leave the listeners with? I mean, whether it's two more minutes or two more hours, is there anything else that's on your mind or heart that you want to discuss today? I think it would just be this, David. Whether we're talking about a marriage, a family, maybe co-employees, if you, the individual, are not content with God, how can the marriage, family, or employment be satisfactory? I'm not talking about are you happy Happy is based on circumstances. You might not be happy right now. Circumstances right now might be lousy, but contentment. So I often meet the couple where by now they're in trouble. You know, one or both are looking at divorce, maybe even with biblical grounds. But typically what's happened is they have both lost contentment along the way. And contentment is not just about you, the individual. For you who are Christians, contentment is about sharing the joy of the Lord. This is about you and the Holy Spirit. So in conclusion, I would say this. You know, when I get on the interstate later today, uh, I run the real risk of somebody cutting me off in traffic. You know, crazy drivers. And I can react in my flesh and show my anger and participate in road rage. But the moment I do that, the moment I do that, I lose my peace with God. So here's the question. If you had a $100 bill in your pocket and I had a $10 bill in mine, David, would you swap me your 100 for my 10 Based on me knowing you, yeah. But based on normal life, no. <laughs> yeah, don't let me trick you into giving me your $100 bill for my $10 bill. It's going to be a bad trade. So for me to participate in road rage and lose my contentment with the Holy Spirit, not my relationship with Him, but my contentment, I'm going to grieve Him when I act out. It's going to be a bad trade. Yeah, and let me add some, and I want to make sure I have the right perspective. I actually, again, I don't want people to think I'm crazy. I don't visualize, like, see it like that. Yeah. But when Satan's, there's a real Satan. There's a real sure. evil being. Like, if you say you believe in God and you don't believe in Satan, you got an issue. Mm -hmm. Because there's a really good, perfect God 
And Satan fell. He betrayed God. His pride took over, and he's like, I can be better than you, and he fell to the earth like a lightning bolt. God exiled him from the heavens, took a third of the angels with him, and a fallen angel's what you call a demon. The worst of them are chained up until the end, but there's an unknown amount of demons walking this earth, seeking, just like saying, whom they may devour. So whenever I'm set up for failure, I always think there's a demon watching me or demons just waiting for me to fail. They're just laughing at me and or they're trying to make me fail and laugh. Is that a good perspective or am I, do I need to talk to you in private? I mean, that's just how I do it because I rationalize because, you know, misery loves company and there's people against you trying to get you to fall. But I try to actually visualize, like, I'll be blunt. I've been out with friends in low parts of my life and literally saying how, you know, I'm being tempted with something over and over again. And then as I'm saying it right there in front of my friends, it happens. And they're shocked. Like, Mm -hmm. how did you know that was going to happen? I'm like, because Satan's trying to tempt me. He's trying to get me to fall. So I've seen it firsthand. And that helps me, not that I'm perfect or I don't make sinful choices, but that helps me make better choices. Is is that Mm -hmm. a good way to do it? Or is that, Dave, we need to talk? (laughs) Well, I think it's reasonable. But here's the thought. I mean, yeah, I do agree that there's demonic activity but, you know, we're taught that not only is there demonic activity, you and I are fallen because of original sin. So the human nature is fallen. And we're living in a world that is fallen as well. So there's the world system, there's my sin nature, and then there's also the demonic. So let's just think again about Internet very quickly. You know, the the Internet is a tangible um electronic thing and so is my cell phone so right now we have human beings who can actually put pornography in various forms on the internet without any help from a demon and I can pull my phone out of my pocket without any help from a demon because my human spirit would perhaps want to see that stuff that I don't need to see. So yes, there is the demonic, but there's also the human spirit that's fallen, and there's the world that's fallen. And so I think there's some balance to that as well. Yeah, I agreed completely. Awesome. Well, thank you, Rob, so much for being here today. Um, And again, is there anything else that you want to talk about or discuss? Because I know this is a topic we could go on for hours and it would still be profitable, but I want to respect your time. Is there anything else that's on your heart or mind that you want to share? I would just share finally that recovery is a part of sanctification. It's not something separate. It's not like you need Jesus plus recovery. You know, recovery is built in to your spiritual birthright. So if, you know, on the day before you were uh, converted to Christ, if you had an addiction, It's possible you've got an addiction the day after you were converted to Christ. He might have miraculously removed it from you. He can. But a lot of times he leaves things so that we will begin to work with the Holy Spirit and improve that. And that's called sanctification. So put your recovery inside sanctification. Embrace it. Live up to your birthright as a Christian 
and watch your life improve. Wow. See, again, if you're just listening, that live up to your birthright as a Christian, that's so powerful. Rob, talk about that. Like if somebody doesn't understand they're not a Christian, what's their birthright? As a Christian, what's our birthright? Explain how beautiful that is. Well, you have dignity first because you were created in the image of God. And there's common grace that God gives to everyone because he's a loving and holy God. But when you become his child, when you become a son or daughter of the king, everything is elevated. And you're no longer living for this life. You've got a life that is in eternity with God himself and the people of God. And so basically living up to your birthright means I am now um, capable of going through life in a way that pleases God. And subsequently, you know, it blesses me. It doesn't mean that I'm not tempted. It doesn't mean I'm not tried. It doesn't mean that I don't have pain in my life. Read the scriptures. Some of the strongest men and women of God had really hard times. So I'm not at all talking about some kind of prosperity gospel where if you'll just come to Jesus, you know, the Rolex is in the mail and your life is going to be easy from there. No, but it's going to have purpose. It's going to have meaning. You're not going to have to question, why am I here? You're not going to have self-doubt like you've had before. So live up to the birthright just means that you're walking with God and His purposes, not your own. And there's joy in that. Amen. Amen. Well, Rob, thank you for being here today. You truly are a remarkable man and a blessing from God to our listeners. If you're out there, again, if you need a Bible, let me know. If you need help, give Rob a call. Um, Connect with him. If I can help you in any way, let me know. I'll do it to the best of my abilities. We're going to put the resources and the links in the show notes. Um, Check them out. Share this episode. If you can listen to it and then write a summary and just share it on your social media. Say, hey, I just listened to this episode really made me think, or it really helped me here. Just share it. Share it with people. Let them hear this, because this is something that most people aren't talking about, and the disease is running wild. Um, there's a cure, but nobody's talking about it. Nobody's addressing or Very few people are talking about addressing it, because frankly, there's too much money in it. Like Rob said, sexual addiction is the number one thing that he, his, he sees every day to a six-and-a-half-year-old little girl. But why is it so rampant? Because number one, it engages our flesh and we like it. And number two, people are making obscene money. And, you know, you want the truth, you go to the Bible and God. But you want to know the truth in man's world, you follow the money trail. Well, they're doing this for money and destruction of you. So let's not let them anymore. So Rob, thank you for being here today, brother. It's my joy, David. I really appreciate the opportunity to connect with you and your audience. Oh, anytime, anytime. And again, to our sponsors today, you know, I'm going to put in the show notes, you know, you have Pam Heinel Realty in Pensacola. Covenant Eyes is a great way to protect yourself and your family from being exposed to pornography. Um, the Gideons ministry has been around since the early 1900s, putting Bibles all over the world in the hands of people and a bunch of other links we're going to put in the notes. Check those out as well. So, Rob, have a great day, my friend, and we will talk to you soon as a listener. 
share this episode. Let us know how we can help you. We love you. And like our slogan says, don't just listen, but do and repeat for life. Until next time. Bye. The Remarkable People Podcast. Check it out. Remarkable People Podcast. Listen, do, repeat for life.